You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, and co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner, mortgage broker, and wealth coach. And together, we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. In a moment, Veronica will introduce our guests. And I can tell you, you'll want to listen on to hear what he has to say about the tricks and the tactics agents use when you make an offer. Through all sorts of methods, which is glorified and promoted at industry events, to then try and bring that into a situation where someone's going to pay the price. And if you think about that, that can't be done in a positive way. There are no positive outcomes there. Then stick around for this week's Elephant Rider Bootcamp. And we have a cracking Dumbo of the Week coming up. Before we get started, everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. This week, we're picking the brains of Shannon Whitney, co-founder and CEO of Bresick Whitney Estate Agents. Shannon's real estate career started when he discovered that he preferred property to university and his early days were spent at McGrath, where he specialised in Sydney's inner suburbs. His bio says that he noticed a young Ivan Bresick coming up through the ranks of the agency where they both worked and they shared some similar traits and beliefs, but Shannon gravitated towards him because Ivan was good at everything he wasn't. What I've noticed about Bresick Whitney is that they've made a big impact on the way in which property is advertised and marketed in Sydney. Shannon saw that no one had made the connection between property and lifestyle, which seems so obvious to him. And because real estate deals with an essential part of every person's life, the literal roof over their heads, Shannon believes that real estate agents have a responsibility to support the community. Together with Ivan, Bresset Whitney's aim is to transform the contemporary real estate experience in Sydney. Welcome, Shannon. Thank you. Thanks, Shannon, for uh, giving us your time. What are your lines on your website? Was housing and property are an integral part of life. It's more about well-being than investment. Just love to get your view on that and how that's kind of changed over your career and why you think that's so important. I started in the early 90s in real estate and um, probably the cultural messages and the beliefs in the 90s is very different to what it is today in a social sense. And I guess what I found was through the 90s, there was such a lot of focus on the agent and individualism and the role that we have that my sense was that the industry lost sight of what role we actually play and there was too much self-focus. And therefore, as a result, I think that much of the humanity and the goodness in terms of what we can provide was kind of lost. And I think that was important for us as an organisation to recognise that uh, in terms of the vision we have and the values in which we want to conduct ourselves. It's really interesting you say that, Shannon, because one of the things I've really noticed in in particularly in recent times, is this rise of the cult of the personal brand. Mm. And so what you're saying is that that was, you know, established in the early 90s yes. that everyone was very much about themselves. Yes. But I'm observing that there's a bit of resurgence around that. So that yes. seems to be maybe there's two schools of thought mm. going on. Mm. I think that that's, that's a correct observation. I think you have to go back to pre-1990 and that's the era pre-John McGrath and before my time, but what John McGrath did 
which was so successful and valuable for the industry was he lifted the standards of professionalism. And the way in which John did that very successfully was to bring more focus on the agent and the role and the practice of our agent. Now, that was very appropriate and I think it was very useful for the time. We've now moved on 20 years and I think you have to just look outside the industry and look at what are some of the major and important themes for people around the world and the rise of millenniums, the change in consumerism, the way that people, the standards and what they expect. Therefore, the role of the individual in terms of real estate, in the, in the real estate service has probably now superseded and now they're looking for other things. The challenge the real estate industry have, of course, is that we're finding it difficult to really understand and articulate what our value is. And that's proven to be a very challenging kind of phase for us. And my observations is that we're retreating back to what we know. And that is that if we continually return the focus to ourselves, and perhaps your observations are correct, I, I would agree, almost turbocharging that idea and that concept mm-hmm. as a means to try to perhaps justify and validate what value that we provide. And I guess we're trying very hard to do that. But from my observations, I don't think it seems to be, uh, don't seem to be engaging the, the market that well. Do you mean, when you say going back to what you know, mm. are you referring to hitting the phones, going back to the, a purely kind of sales focus compared to kind of connecting with buyers, connecting with sellers and going to a more real relationship advisor role? No, what we're seeing is we're seeing evidence that we haven't actually changed our view and our beliefs at all. Um, what we're seeing is, to Veronica's point, is that we're, we're continually focusing on ourselves as the point of difference and doing everything we can, particularly now in the age of social media, to promote that concept. And that concept in the belief of an agent is, that's what will provide my relevance. And they're trying to attract to the people that pay them, and that is the vendors. So, of course, the logic is the more I do that, the better I will be and the more success I will have. And in the age of social media, different channels, different ways of communicating, I would agree with Veronica, we're seeing much, much more of that in perhaps ways that we weren't used to seeing. And I think that probably some of the ways and methods that are being used are quite extreme. Um, but I don't see that as really changing or evolving from what we've been doing for the last 20 years. We're just doing more of it. It's a, a new platform, I guess. Correct. We're given more megaphones. Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we are. And to the people that are encouraging a personal brand that's showing that they're getting record prices for vendors and they're selling huge amounts of property rather yep. than the result they're actually creating a society by helping people. Yes. So if I'll give you an example, my wife owns a dress shop in Paddington. Now, yesterday, my wife perhaps sold a dress, perhaps sold a couple. The idea about promoting the fact that they sold that dress to their community (laughs) or to that audience (laughs) is quite bizarre. It is. I agree. It is bizarre. Now, the reason why they don't do that is because no one cares. Mm. And I think where we go wrong is we continually feel that by self-promotion and by glorifying whatever it is that we think we do is some sort of means of um, adulation, provides us with opportunities, and they think or we think that society thinks that that's wonderful. 
It is really funny, isn't it? Because I often think, you know, a record, you know, record price for the street or record yeah. price for the building. And you think, well, just because the last property sold 10 years ago, by virtue of that fact alone, you're going to get a record. It's actually got nothing to do with your ability. No one, <laughs> and, and, and in fairness, who cares? Yeah, yeah. exactly. No, no one actually they cares. Care. Yeah. Um, so that's my experience. And I say that because I'm an agent mm-hmm. and I'm sensitive to how people respond to us. Mm-hmm. And I certainly sympathize and understand why one does it. Mm-hmm. I have never seen it to be a successful strategy. Unfortunately, a lot of vendors would probably gravitate to, I guess, agents that in the light of society are seen to be very successful and that are pumping their kind of success up and mm. awards and, you know, they're the top selling. And these things are kind of, I guess, helping them to, yeah, to, well, I should pick that agent. And then the agent just keeps on on oh. it. And so I think that cycle, unfortunately, needs to be broken. Mm. Is that something that Bressick Whitney avoid doing? Is that something you don't enter awards? Do you? Uh, yeah, I, I'd say we discourage. Okay. I think it's important to say that we feel very strongly that people should make their own decisions and have that opportunity to do so. However, we certainly try and help educate them. And, you know, we've got a responsibility to help mentor young professionals in this realm. And we'd certainly do our best to try and help them understand what many different facets are to their decision. The real estate industry have this belief that that is the formula for success. There is little or very no focus on people that have a lot of success that don't do that. And there is little to no Mm. attention given. And I can certainly say with experience, there is an awful lot of practitioners that have succeeded and continue to succeed without using tactics and um, behavior and actions Mm -hmm. that frankly conflict with a lot of people's values and morals within society. We were having a conversation, Chris and I, about about awards only the other day and and I entered an award, the REI New South Wales Award, you know, when I was first a buyer's agent. Yes. Because, and that's why people do it, because obviously you want to get yourself a little bit of credibility and, you know, I was a finalist. Mm. (laughs) Now, a couple of years ago, I actually had the pleasure of being a judge for yes. for a few years for the very same awards. And I looked at the same people uh, basically submit their application every year and they, yes. they're struggling to get enough people to submit. So therefore, you have to do something pretty terrible to not be a finalist. You do. And <laughs> and I, I see that and I've taken a similar approach. Uh, what I uh, strongly contest and, and certainly don't agree with that the measure for success used by institutions is not what I believe to be the right measures to yep. value mm. people who are successful in what they do. Definitely the, me- agree. the measures are completely wrong. It does not in any means demonstrate to me that there is a well-rounded, professional, considerate yep. practitioner. Um, it's playing to the very same things that created, well, that brought the industry out into the realm of professionalism in the 90s and we simply have not moved on. So how do you deal with that in your business? Because what, how many, let's just say sales for the moment. How many people do you have in your sales business? Uh, So we have 48 in that area. Okay. And and we all know there's a lot of ego in sales and there's a lot of money to be made and et cetera, et cetera. Um, How do you deal with it? Because you you talk about the values, but Mm. yet that's a lot of people to, in in an industry that I know it's difficult to get people with the right values. So how do you proactively tackle that? With a lot of difficulty. I would answer that question by saying that, um, firstly, we've invested and prioritized culture and 
you simply cannot change behavior or you simply cannot inflict any meaningful change without having the right cultural environment in order to do it. Support um, it yeah. I made that decision in 2011 that if we were and wanted to be anything different and if we were serious about the vision of our company, and as you've seen in my, you know, many of my notes, I try to stay away from the term real estate agent. And I don't do that because I think it's, a, it's the wrong thing. I think what I'm trying to explicitly um, imply is that we have an opportunity to be much more than that. So that's, a, without going into detail, because that's a whole other podcast, that whole journey. But <laughs> the reason why that's important is because in order to create a culture uh, to support what you want to do as a business or what you want to do with your vision, that is a daily commitment. And that daily commitment uh, is a financial, is a personal, and is a very big leadership commitment. And that was a decision that we made in 2011. To this day, it's the only thing that we focus on and um, it's the only thing that we really invest meaningfully in outside you know, our own technology decisions. So do you want to quickly articulate that? how you articulate it to your, your, your stakeholders? It is about bringing people on a journey and it's about helping them, helping them understand that we have a level of responsibility. We have an opportunity in terms of adding value to people in their lives. We also have to consider that if we are going to be uh, a business and we're going to be something that simply clips the ticket along the way, then we have to ask ourselves, is that what we want to do? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is no, and I think it's important that it doesn't mean that everyone should do this, it means that we decide we want to do this, and therefore we need to take people along that journey. And that journey is about education, the journey is about challenging their beliefs, mm-hmm. the journey is also about allowing them to make mistakes, uh, the journey is about accepting people who are at certain stages of their development, yep. but it's also important because it means that they have an opportunity through building their own practice, and we can get to that in a minute in terms of that, the connection between that and buyers, and then as individuals and as people, they can ask themselves, how do they want to exist professionally? And that's a decision that everyone actually does have and everyone should make, but you have to be realistic that unless you're in a certain environment, in a social cultural environment, you will respond to what those messages are. I mean, that's what I'm on the front most frustrating things I see with professions that are selling something, mm. um, majority of those organizations is a sales culture. Yes. And you live and die by the numbers. Yep. And if the numbers aren't happening, then you need to work harder to make the numbers happen. Yep. And then the stress begins and then the pressure to sell rises. Yep. And at some point, selling becomes the priority yep. and the outcome becomes secondary. And you know, that's why I think you've got a huge burnout rate in, in real estate agents Correct. because, you know, they're not going to survive a year mm. because if the numbers aren't happening, you're gone. And that happens in mortgage broking, financial advice, everything, many industries. And it's also, it's not just like the organization though imposing those targets. It's actually very much the culture within the business. So, you know, because you'll have the high performers and they've got all the trappings of success. You know, they've got the, the flash car, they've got the flash suits, the holidays, whatever it is that they're, you know, having as their status symbols effectively. And so the young entrance into, when I say young, and that's just young in terms of experience, new entrance into the business, into the industry, mm. look to that as being that's where I want to go. Yes. And of course, so it's this pressure from both ends here. There are. 
I think you also have to accept because everything you've said is right. You know, we're going through a banking royal commission now where there's yep. a lot of focus on <laughs> the mortgage broking business yep. approach model. Uh, you've got a fundamental issue here and, you know, Veronica's right. The messages are very clear for those who are looking for those success symbols, you know, and what we're aspiring to. What are the messages given by the leadership of not just businesses but also the the institution? Um, and simply when the remuneration structure and the way that people are paid are driven by one source, then of course that's going to influence and that's going to decide where the behaviour lies. So you have, uh, you know, you have a situation where people either consciously or unconsciously know who's paying them, mm -hmm. and 90% of their time spent on either finding them, capturing them, trying to kill them. Mm -hmm or trying to do whatever they can to get them. Mm -hmm. And that leaves a very small amount of time to the other part of the ecosystem, which is probably the largest part. Mm -hmm. Then you wonder why we have this misalignment and this, mm -hmm. this issue about customer service. So one of the ways to combat that, I believe in an organization is to pay higher base salaries mm -hmm. and to put less incentives on the actual numbers Yes, and to reward just good behavior, I guess, yep. uh, and client outcomes. Is that something that as an organization you focus on? We do recognize that the current remuneration model is not supporting the opportunity that we have. Yes. Mm -hmm. We probably take more of, I think I agree with everything you've said. I think that base models are one way of doing it. We're interested and we will uh, continue to explore what the opportunity is for us as a collective, simply because we feel that our ability to add value to our clients, and I'm broadly talking about, you know, both parts of the, the ecosystem there will come through a collective, not as individuals. Yep. Therefore, our remuneration structure should support that. Yep. And that will mean that that will, should be a very big shift from where it is to what we understand that to be today. And that is a huge challenge yes. because it's not just your organisation then. It's almost like you'll be a silo, you know, within an organisation because you've got to be able to attract new staff Correct. and new people to the team, right? And then they come from being made offers by other organisations yeah. that, that dangle bigger carrots and all that sort of stuff. So it really is a challenge. Systemically, yes. you know, I think the whole industry is stuffed in the sense that, yeah. you know, they're only paid, and we've had this same conversation, I think, with John Cunningham, mm. they're only paid on success. They're only paid yeah if the vendor sells. And so therefore there's going to be various points where there's influence or um, going to be exerted on whether it be the vendor to lower their expectations or whether it be the buyer to pay yep. more than they should be paying or however it works. Otherwise there's a risk that, you know, the 90 days is going to be up, they'll lose Correct. their agency agreement and they'll go off to sign up with another agent. So there, there is a lot going on there that is against, and, and this is institutionally within the industry. Yes. Fundamentally, if you never make that call as an organisation, you're never going to head in the right there. direction. Yeah. And so, you know, not everyone is motivated by money. Intrinsic kind of motivation is kind of, Correct. you know, people are starting to at least understand it, that people come to work for more reasons than to get paid. Yes. And, you know, even if there are the good agents, you'll start to attract because mm -hmm. they'll say, look, I could earn more money if I went and wrote more business at X, yeah. you know, Y, you know, real estate, but maybe... As a collective, we're making a bigger impact here, yep. and I believe in the story. And long term, that's better for me, anyway. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'd, I'd answer that two ways. I think, firstly, the, the reality is, Veronica, a lot of start, a lot of people won't come to us. Mm. I accept yep. that, um, and I can certainly say that's put front and center as an organisation when we when we consider what our options are. Yep. And I do say, and I agree with you, Chris. 
I read that a lot about, you know, people not motivated by money. And as someone who was thrust into the position of ownership um, (laughs) and the realization about being a leader and then understanding what actually owning a business really means, which is about people, the fact that people are not motivated by money is absolutely true. I've experienced that. I continue to see it. And I guess what I have also made a lot of mistakes on over the years is I've prioritized the very thing that, sorry, I've thought and I've made decisions and prioritized for the organization the very thing that Veronica just mentioned. And that is that the means to success is the best selling agents. And through (laughs) experience, that's not the successful formula at all. Mm. So, it's easy for me to say that. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a definitely shift now than there was. There's no doubt about that. And I would say certainly with, with a level of confidence that uh, I expect people will leave our organisation if, if those sorts of decisions uh, are made. And I don't want to sound extreme because we don't know what that looks like yet, but I certainly do agree that what you said is one option and there are plenty of options available, I think, to businesses. But as a result of that, um, it is a huge step away from what the mainstream understand, what the beliefs are, and a lot of people won't follow. But like everything, um, do I think that it'll be a successful outcome? Yes, I do. We wouldn't do it otherwise, would you? You wouldn't do it. <laughs> and, I, and I think, again, what we fail to do so much in this industry is we continually fail to look for success clues outside, and you really don't have to travel very far to see them. However, we are still stuck in this belief, this mindset, and the messages continue to come that this is what one needs to do to be successful. And it seems to just not work. Outside our own industry, people don't seem to agree with us. No, and you can see with the Royal Commission that that's that's the spotlight certainly coming on that. Now, Ivan's a bit more prolific or Mm. or active than you out there, and I guess you're the CEO, so you're not going to be, you're not, your name's not going to be on, on as many listings as Ivan is. No. And Ivan also is an auctioneer. We see him turn up every now and then. Mm. He, and this is where I, you know, read in your bio that that point that he's good at everything you're not, mm. which is a great partnership, obviously. Now, my own personal, um, I guess, impression of Ivan mm. would be that he would sell his grandmother. Mm. Mm. And you, I've always had that impression that you completely, it's almost like you've got your backs to each other. You're facing totally different directions. <laughs> yeah. How does that work? Because he is like the the, uh, the archetypical, if you like, mm. salesy salesman. Yes. Um, yes. So how is he, how's he changing through this and how, how does that typify or how does that symbolise mm. how the industry is moving, yeah. you hope? Yeah. I mean, I think, I, and I think those observations are fair. Um, Ivan and I know each other very well because, you know, I've, I've been an agent since 1993 and Ivan worked for me in the early days and him and I both, we haven't been, we, we've mostly been together through our whole sales career. And I, I think Ivan is representative of, of what we understand, you know, the, the prolific and the robust sales agent, you know, sort of caricature that you, that we know of. And what I've learned is that I've always had a different, and what I've, what, I've, what I've accepted is I've always had a different view about where the value and where the opportunity lies. I've also been very optimistic that a lot of people in real estate do things a certain way because that's how they've been taught or that's what they understand it to be. And Ivan's a good example that there are other ways. There are better ways and there are ways that you can be successful that you can add value to a vendor 
but you can also add a lot of value to everyone else in the transaction. And I've been with Ivan for 22 years, and I will say that he has changed a lot. It's not been easy, but I have always felt that if people like Ivan can change and learn new things, then the rest of the industry can. And he's proven that. Which is great. Can you give us a couple of points on on where you think, you know, he? I guess he's symbolic of of yeah. sort of an older style of thinking, or yes. the, the, you know, and then the newer style of thinking and, and newer ways of working. So, can you give us a couple of examples of sort of old and new? I think that the the, the new way for agencies to take on more complexity is to be aware that it's not just about serving the vendor. There is um, two parts to this transaction and having more awareness around understanding how we can support both sides of the transaction as an agent delivers better outcomes. And what that means, Veronica, is we need to take some of the focus off um, volume. We need to take some focus off time. We need to take some focus off getting the deal done, and we need to reconsider what are the what are the priorities and the measures that we want to introduce. And that means that you have to help people change their practice. To help people readjust their practice means development yep. and mentorship. And that's if you think about the real estate industry today, there is none. So the responsibility that I have and that we have is to support our agents and people in that profession in terms of learning yep. what they need to do. And Ivan is hugely, hugely important in that process because he is a big personality. He's passionate. He's also symbolic of, it, of, of what success in agency does. And when Ivan has, um, has gone through the process of understanding, learning, changing how he does things, it's hugely important for our organisation that we have leaders who we can look to, to say, how do we do this, Ivan? What can you help me with? So I use, and Ivan and I work together where I can use you know, that journey and that change to yep. the benefit of other people, and it can be done. I think this is a challenge for a lot of industries to step away from you know, I guess a sales to a trusted advisor kind of role. And I 100% agree, one of the most powerful things when you are wanting to do that change is you need people to to kind of, I guess, look up to and I guess encouraging them to support. If they are doing the change, yes. then maybe I should do the change if I'm a young agent. And so encouraging that. I think the Royal Commission is an opportunity yes. for people to actually, like this podcast, is an yeah. opportunity for us to talk about these things because- mm. You can only move forward when you actually discuss these things. You can't just yeah. wipe it under the carpet. No, you can't. Um, mm. And one of the big things in a real estate transaction is the lack of trust. And it starts before, you know, the phone call or the knock on the door, it's already begun. Well, it's perception. Mm. You know, that's where it, it's already in people's minds that they can't trust agents. Yes. And so that's that's some of the things that I find talking to buyers is that's the biggest challenge that they've got. Mm. That you know, even though there are some trustworthy agents out there, they can't necessarily trust themselves to tell the difference. Correct. So what Correct. are the limitations, I guess, this lack of trust, this yes. lack of transparency? What mm. are the limitations, the boundaries is this putting on the industry yep. today? So there's a triangle here. The first, uh, the mistrust, you know, to Veronica's point, has been built up over a long, 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 long time. And that mistrust is validated and reinforced in many, 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 I won't say all, but many transactions that happen every day. 
where that creates limitations is that agents can actually help buyers. They can actually make this process for them simpler, with less time, and with probably in some cases better outcomes. But because, and naturally, the buyers don't feel they're getting transparency, they in fact don't understand the role that the agent plays, and they're not clear about what happens uh, with the representation with the vendor, the natural thing is Mm -hmm. for two people to move further away from each other. And then what you end up is you end up in this dance between two people who are blindfolded, who are essentially uh, at odds with one another, and we try and end up in a process where we find a price for, for someone else who's on the planet. And when you, when you consider that, of course, you're going to get sit- a lot of situations where people come out of transactions really unhappy. And that experience is the problem that we have. We continually create this experience and we accept that it's okay because we've sold it. And you you expect it as well. You expect it. Yeah. You expect it. What happens is that the role of the agent is purely to represent the person who owns the house. Our ability to do that is questionable and what we do is to try and because of lack of education, lack of knowledge, perhaps because of deceitfulness, Sometimes it's because of the need to make sure that your numbers are such that you get the deal. So an agent will simply comply with what they think they need to do in order to capture and secure that piece of business. And, and so what we're talking about here is when you what we call buying the listing or where you go in there and yep. sort of flatter the, the owner a little bit by, hmm. you know, over sort of overestimating what they might get as a sales price because you know that they're going to be looking at you thinking, well, if you don't believe what I think it's worth yep. and you're not going to fight for it and there's right. all these sort of beliefs that owners have, it's all so ingrained in, in people's Correct. minds and everyone's being driven by the elephant. <laughs> yeah. And what happens is that once that's, you know, then you've got a whole wrath of people in the industry that will have these great ideas about how you then get out of situations like that mm-hmm. and mm. how you can actually then kind of deliver an outcome by somehow cleverly through magic and through whatever else they come up with. Manipulation. And, and this is <laughs> through all sorts of methods, mm. which is glorified and promoted at industry events yeah. to then try and bring that into a situation where someone's going to pay the price. And if you think about that, that can't be done. That can't be done in a positive way. There are no positive outcomes there. The problem is, and this is where I sympathise, there are people in the industry that actually would like to be able to know how you do that. No one's teaching them because mm. those methods and those approach are condoned. They're supported in many ways. That's what props up a real estate business because those deals just have to get done. So what we hear is we hear all these kind of term, we hear all this terminology, we hear all this jargon that this is what you do in this situation. In this, this is the way to do this. Now, the reality is that's lying. That's lying. The problem for the buyers is what they've been told or what they digest is a very different situation to what's actually going on behind the scenes. And when you have someone in the middle trying to navigate that, who's got no life, well, no experience, very little education, no mentorships or no guidance in terms of uh, someone looking after or making them accountable, I'll say whatever comes into their mind. And if you think about that, that's going to probably, 
it's not going to lead to a lot of successful outcomes with someone who's trying to spend 500,000, 1.2 million. And you end up in this complete schmozzle, complete schmozzle, where if you think about it, the process can be really simple. And how the- are you then changing the way that, or how has the way that you train and mentor mm. your team, yep. how is that reflecting? This thinking. So what we've what we've thought about is how can you do this? You can. It's it actually isn't that difficult to do it one on one if you've got the time and mm. you've got the commitment to mentor someone, and that mentorship needs to be in a practical experience. When you do it at scale or you do it across an institution, you need other mechanisms in order to help. So you might recall, I think six years ago, well, it would be a long time ago now, seven years ago, we made it mandatory to have price guides, published price guides. And we made that decision firstly because it's the biggest pain point that anyone is trying to buy is just tell me the price. Secondly, the, the benefit of that is what it does. It puts accountability on the real estate agent that whatever you've decided upon, you're going to make this public. And that puts a level of accountability that a lot of agents don't have. And that's, those, sorts of, those sorts of steps are very important in terms of people's development and people's education. What it does is it forces them to list and represent something differently. It forces them, because if you're going to be deceptive, it's very clear where you're deceptive. Yeah. When you don't have these mechanisms in place, the real estate agents naturally will find ways to kind of create situations. Well, he said, she said, this is this. Yeah. At the end of the day, there is something not right here. So that's a really important step. And I will know and I will I acknowledge that there are some people in the industry that have taken it. But I think a lot of people dis- don't recognize that we've done this not just for the benefit of buyers. We've done this for the education and development of our agents. Yep. And what I would say is I know I know why a lot of agents won't do this is because they can't. And a lot of agents who are considered to be very good and who are applauded and lauded and glorified, they couldn't work that way because it puts a layer of accountability into their practice that they simply wouldn't be prepared to do. And, and you know, that's what the, the laws have been put in place or the underquoting laws yes. have been put in place supposedly to enforce that. Correct. But even that, I don't like the way they're putting put together because they give agents three options. I, I guess what you're saying is that if an agent goes to a vendor and says, right, oh, Mr. Mrs. Vendor, you're going to get a million dollars for this house and he's really thinking or she's really thinking 900000 goes out the buyers and says, you only need to pay eight hundred to get this this property yes. and they're hoping that, well, it's really worth nine. I'll work the buyers up to what it's really worth. In the meantime, I've got to work on, you know, vendor management to get there, smack them around the head a bit so they're down to where it's reality. And that's pretty much the way a lot of transactions are done and no wonder there's no trust, yeah, as you say. No and, mm. and I think that the challenge is, and I, and I so sympathise, you know, we I had a situation in the inner west the other day with an agent who came over and, you know, I work as an agent still in terms of um, – I'm still transacting, um, mainly because that's one of the best ways that the organisation can help with the mentorship. Mm. And I sympathise. I get frustrated, but I understand that you know people who have been in an environment, they've been taught and told a certain thing. And you know, in that situation, you know, you have a you have a property that is. We've had a price guide of one point two five million. We've had a buyer who's offered one point three five million, and the vendor said. I then said, what do you say to the other buyers who have a contract? Well, I ring them and tell them, yes, you should. 
And what do you tell them when the price guard goes up and it stays on the market? And he said, what should I tell them? Well, I don't know. What, what would you say in such a situation? And he said, well, I don't know what I should say because if I say it hasn't been accepted, what does that mean? That means the vendor wants more. Oh. <laughs> and if you say that, what happens? They'll walk. So if you don't say that, what can you say? Well, I'd say maybe he's thinking about it and he, and you know, all the things he wants to see it on the market for another week. <laughs> We're just waiting to see, you know, if he sells something else. I said, so if you do that, let's say you do that and you tell the other buyers that that's happening. What is it? What's it likely that they'll do? Oh, okay. Well, doesn't really make any sense, but maybe they'll remain interested in the property. Maybe they'll do that. Yeah. Maybe they won't. So what happens when you get to a situation when you turn up to an auction and you're looking at those people in the eye and whatever the outcome of that situation is, isn't actually what happens? Do you think that that is an appropriate way to behave? Forget about the real estate solution. Is that you as a person, do you behave that way? If you choose to do that, you can. But if you choose to do that, you will have a certain existence in this industry and you decide which one you want to be because you have to turn up and look at these people in the eye. Shannon, this is absolute, really, really. It happens every day. It does happen every day. I know it happens every day. It's fundamentally cutting to the core of what you are as a person. And if you want to behave this way in a business, it actually starts to spread to other parts of your life as well. I mean, Dan O'Reilly is an amazing behavioral kind of psychologist, economist. He calls about, talks about something called the fudge factor, you know, and you start to uh, cheat a little bit, you know, not paying, you know, fudging the tax return, you know, not paying the parking. Mm. And these things don't, they seem small, but they keep growing. Yep. And then you start and it, it keeps going and it happens in business. You know, you start to be a little bit dishonest there in that situation to keep buyers and then it'll just keep going and that's what I love about the price guide is that I, as humans I think we need to force ourselves to be accountable and one of the ways there is the price guide is you're saying look it's 1.1 to 1.2 and the stories have to keep going back to that price guide they do I think it's a very powerful you know way of kind of managing the situation of keeping people accountable yes. you know buyers like it yeah they should prefer it mm. Every week, we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do. Dumb things that end up costing them a lot of money and or creating a whole lot of stress. Mistakes that can be avoided. Now, please, Shannon, help our listeners out here. Give us an example of a property dumbo. We can all learn what not to do from these stories. Can I make it an agent? You can. So I had a guy who I've just... Um, been, I've just sold his house in the inner west, and he's trying to buy in the eastern suburbs. He looked at a house. He looked at a house with 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 an agent, and the agent and the property was 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 not exclusive. It was five different agents, and he said, "I think I've found a house I'm going to buy." And he said, "What do you reckon I should do?" And I said, uh, "Tell me the situation." He said, "They want over eight. They want something with a eight in front of it. You know that term?" <laughs> I said, "Okay, that's not a good start." Yeah. Um, eight hundred thousand. Uh, oh, sorry. It's, yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the eight million mark. Um, <laughs> the <eastern> suburbs. <laughs> he then said, look, I think it's probably worth 7.4. I said, okay. Well, he said, so 
what is the agent telling you to do? Agent's telling him to put it on a contract. Remember that, you know, that term? Mm-hmm. I said, okay. And he said, what does that mean? And I said, well, I'll, you know, I said, I'll decode that for you. That means that it's not what the vendor wants, but he <laughs> and the vendor actually won't accept that price. But what he's going to do, he's going to ask you to crystallize that. And that will give him, it's like, it's like going into battle and giving him a couple more guns. It'll give him a couple of more machine guns to take with him. And what he's going to do is he's going to sit there and he's going to go to the vendor, look, this is all he's going to pay. He's flying to Paris tomorrow. Uh, he doesn't think it's worth that. There's an auction in Vaucluse he's probably going to bid on, so there's the price you've got to take it. And he said he would not do that. I said, yeah, well, something like that. Um, anyway, came back. Came back and I said, oh, how did you go? How did you go? He goes, I offered another 150000 and they said no. Mm. And I said, oh, it's not. And I said, what's going to happen? Oh, they're going to take it to auction. I said, all right. I said, did you ever find out what she actually wanted? And he said, I think she wanted 8.7. And I said, oh, okay. I said, so what did you get out of all that? And he said that was a complete and utter Waste, waste of, of time. time. I can hear it. People make offers all the time, don't they? And I go, and I say to them, if you're going to lowball, what do you hope to achieve? You know, you got to go in with an intention. If it's not going to buy it, you got to get some information. You got to get something out of this experience. So you're saying you went in there and got nowhere. Got no. Didn't buy it. I mean, it was a that's a very nice insight there as well around what the agent's going to do with Fantastic. that offer. <laughs> um, and I appreciate that coming out because fundamentally, that's as a buyer. And you know you're making that offer and putting it on paper. The agent, you know, is going to go shop that offer. It's the evidence. To, it's the machine gun. So, mm. Shannon, I love the fact that you are absolutely prepared to talk about the elephant in the room. And uh, thank you for coming. We will definitely get you back because I know that there's so much more we want to talk about. Now, for listeners who want to find out more about Shannon and his business, they can get online www au, and we'll put a link in the show notes. No problem at all. Thank you so much for giving us your time and, and for being here today. We really appreciate it and you've given us some food for thought and some amazing insights. Thank you. We want to make you a better elephant rider. This week's elephant rider training is... All about understanding auction price guides. Now, every state has legislation around this and I'll talk through New South Wales. So. As a buyer, you need to understand what the agent is doing when they quote certain prices. Now, legislatively, is that a word? In New South Wales, an agent has three options. They can quote nothing. So you are left to your own devices to work it out. They can quote a single price. And so that normally is the bottom of the price range that they've put on the agency agreement. Or they can put a range and normally if they're going to do that is the range that they've put on the agency agreement. Now they have some limitations here. If they say that it's worth say a million dollars, they can put a maximum 10% or variation from the bottom price on their agency agreement. So a million to 1.1, 900 to 990 for example. So typically if you looked at a single Figure on a price guide, you would add 10% and think, okay, that's the range that's been put on the agency agreement. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's what it's going to sell for. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's what the vendor is prepared to accept. It doesn't mean much beyond what's been put on the agency agreement. Now, further to that, if an agent receives an offer 
that the vendor has rejected, they can no longer quote less than that offer. So if you do see a price range increase during the course of a campaign, that is usually the reason. There's a caveat on that. And this is where it's really important to understand this, that agents don't necessarily take all offers as offers. For instance, if it's not in writing, they won't accept it. They won't change their quoting. Even if it's just in an email without actually having terms and conditions or it's not on a contract, they may not accept it. And if the vendor has put in writing that they will not accept offers, then they're not going to accept it. So under those circumstances, you won't see the quote price change. So that's the Elephant Rider Bootcamp for this week, understanding what an auction price guide actually means. So Veronica, what have we got to add to the Elephant Memory Bank this week? Well, I think the whole idea of understanding auction price guides is so important that I'm going to pop a couple of links to blogs that I've written explaining it and demystifying it, but also one that gives tips on how to identify a rogue agent. Next episode, we're interviewing Kent Lardner, and he's a data scientist with a passion for property. We covered a lot of ground with Kent, starting from knowing how a little bit of knowledge can be dangerous for property investors. We delved into the trouble with using median sales data, also what goes into an automated valuation model, when they're used, and why automated estimates vary so much from actual sales prices in Australia. It's a fascinating episode. We talk a lot about technology and what that means for the future for real estate agents and property valuers. The Elephant in the Room Property Podcast is recorded at the Sydney Sound Room. This week's podcast was recorded and edited by Gordy Fletcher. Until next week, don't be a dumbo. Me again. Don't forget, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and we'd love an iTunes review. We're getting lonely here. Be aware, everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances.